The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to dis- uh, join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag IAM and hashtag security. Today's topic is Taming Identity and Access Management. And our guest for today's show is Connie Barrera, who is the Chief Information Security Officer with Jackson Health System. Hi, Connie. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great coming to you from sunny South Florida, enjoying our beautiful weather this morning. Very good. So I'm, I'm really already feeling jealous being in Chicago, but we are also <laughs> enjoying a great weather here today. Um, so what we are trying to do, as you know, is to discuss this topic, which is a very important piece of the puzzle. We just wanted to see how is this being handled, because it seems like a chronic issue when you talk to any CISO. And and what we wanted to see is how complex it truly is. Is that truly a technology issue or is it a people process or political issue? Why it is not getting solved to the degree it's supposed to? And, and given the complexity that's getting introduced in the whole ecosystem around how we are going to be using technology, how much we are going to use technology in terms of variety, is that going to get any better to handle this or it's going to get any worse? And if yes, what are you planning for that? So as the first question, what do you think, in your view, is the complexity that is keeping us up at night when it comes to identity and access management? Well, identity and access management, which we've coined as IAM, really three little letters that are so simplistic to say, and actually it's a beast of an area to get right and implement. And I think the the challenge lies with each leap forward in technology that we had with all the different paradigm shifts, you know, we find that although it's something that we use each and every day in order to access a system, in order to, to read your email, in order to, to log into a terminal, you need a user account and password. And um, when we, you know, thinking back long ago to the mainframe days, which, you know, it's kind of funny that uh, a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, every organization was jumping on the bandwagon to get off a mainframe. Um, We just didn't want to deal with that anymore. But it was very easy to manage. It was basically one environment where it was an ecosystem of data resources, you know, code that everyone accessed from really dumb terminals. Today, if we look at it, I think it's kind of earth-shattering that your average GM car contains more information processing power, you know, that was on the Apollo moon landing craft in 1969, you know, and, and even more processing power than our mainframes back in the 1970s, you know. So 
it is very much a challenge because of all the technology around us and really all of the lack of integration and, and I would say lack of standards. Um, it's very, very simple for us to be able to provision accounts for someone when they come into an organization. You know, someone joins uh, on boards today, we create an account for them. We usually have pretty good processes to take that due diligence and, you know, give them whatever rights they need. Typically, if, if you have good processes in order, there's other organizations, though, where, you know, the users fill out a form and they say, make Mary like Susie. And so in those cases, folks don't really have a good grasp as to what access, you know, the user is receiving really. They have a general knowledge because it works. But is that, is that um, access appropriate? Is it based on key principles that we like to hold true in security based on a need to know and least privilege? You know, so with every evolution of technology, um, the challenges to me just increase, and they increase because of the complexity, lack of standards, lack of interoperability, um, and makes our job, job much more difficult to get folks the data they need to perform the roles they need to perform in a need-to-know, least-privileged, strategic way. So your response tells that in many cases it looks like we could have prevented such issues if we just did not make Mary like Susie, or if we did put some standards and actually allowed adherence to that. And frankly, the users are not the ones who are making this access management or identity management a challenge. It is more the administrator. So can we just train people better and <laughs> put a process in place and, and call it done? It's, I, I wish it, it sounds beautiful you know, in, in concept, and, you know, we always should strive to, to have one cookie-cutter solution with one solution that works for everything. But even in healthcare, for example, our sector is, is a prime example of this. Um, years ago, I worked in an organization where we had basically 300 line-of-business applications. 85% of those applications did not have any LDAP integration, meaning they weren't able to integrate, for example, with things such as Active Directory, which means that everyone needed a particular user ID and password. And so the, the challenge of this is in the healthcare perspective, for example, nurses are the perfect use case for, for, for this. Um, a nurse is a nurse, but a nurse can be so different. We have certain nurses, for example, that work in a particular unit all the time. They may work in, they may work in oncology in, you know, every time they come, they come to the organization and have a shift, while other nurses may be assigned to rotate anywhere throughout the hospital. Today they're in oncology, tomorrow they're in cardiac, the next day they're in pediatrics, or even within the day they're floating around these different units. So even when you have a very solid process in place that you've identified, oncology nurses get access to these three applications and certain level of, you know, access within that that is appropriate. But when you have different populations that are shifting and it's dynamic and elastic, if you will, um, it's very difficult to account for that. The other difficulty I would say is that the technology isn't robust enough still to this day in order to accommodate for users understanding what the roles really mean. You know, we use um, throughout 
different organizations I work, for example, Lawson. Lawson is an ERP system that generally we use for on the HR perspective to manage, you know, employees and employees come into the portal to do any number of things such as view their compensation or identify their benefits. And the way that the software is coded is very cryptic. So even when we work with the data owners and work with the data custodians and say, these are the different roles that have been made available to the system so that we, again, can uphold those principles of least privilege and need to know. Um, These are the roles that are involved. When that output is generated, it really takes a lot of time and effort, even for the people within IT that work with it on a daily basis, to articulate to these data owners what that means. What screens do they see? What fields are on there? What data is obfuscated or not? You know, so we, no matter how good our processes are, we're really at the mercy of the application vendors. And I would say even though there's a lot of solutions out there, I find that we need much more innovation from what these solutions can provide that that we're getting today. Because to me, the technology in place from an IAM perspective, um, I, I can't say that I've seen leaps and bounds in improvements in that technology like we're seeing. For example, we've gone from the PC era to some would argue today we're in the post-PC era because we're really relying on virtualization and cloud. And it doesn't, the endpoint doesn't really matter anymore. We really care more about our applications and our services. And that's so true. And, and as well with, you know, Internet of Things, the IoT explosion that we're having now, which is really exciting. But at the same time, you know, as, as this explosion is, is happening all around us with devices all connected to the Internet, whether in our homes and in our businesses, IAM is not keeping up. You gave a number of examples, and it looks like that if we somehow had uh, our own control on the applications we developed, then we, knew, we would know which particular screen and which particular field has to be accessed by who. And you could have built a matrix, if you will, and then made that available to the system administrator and then have a set of processes which could work. So a couple of issues that you uh, spoke about here. Uh, One is the semantics. So we do not understand semantics or perhaps the semantics itself changes based on which room or which patient type is the person seeing. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. And secondly, we're talking about our, uh, we want to grow, we want to innovate, and we want to move quick. And agility is coming at a price because then you want to go to a third-party vendor who's not keeping IAM in mind and exposing that matrix to you the way you would have had as a control if you had your own application. So are we saying that we are embracing new technology, but we are also introducing risk with respect to IAM if you go that route. Is is the vendor community which is serving you, is that hearing this? And have they done anything about it? I, I would say secure, you're absolutely right. Security always lags behind technology and innovation, unfortunately, but the reality that we must face. And, and so as security practitioners, it's really our job to make sure that we're ahead of the game, that we're always up to speed with the latest technologies, testing them, and really looking into, you know, everything about them. It's not good enough. Many times I've been in organizations that we deploy a particular software technology, and 
it may be that it's vendor-supported, and in those cases, it's even worse because people have no idea what it runs, what the requirements are, what the controls are, whether the controls are up and running appropriately because it's easy to say, well, the vendor supports that. At the end of the day, it's your, it's our organization that is on the hook if there's a security breach, if there's an issue. So we must know everything about it as if, if we were reverse engineering it. Um, so to me, don't put anything in place that you don't know everything about it, the nuts and bolts, how it works on, on the back end. And so I would say, yes, the, the security community or the vendor community, I should say, is is not really, I don't think they're really stepping up. And when we work with different partners and different vendors over the years, um, many times we'll get, well, this is what this is what we provide, and all the customers are using it in this way. I'll give you a perfect example from a patient system and, and billing perspective that we use, that we call EHR Electronic Health Record Solution. Um, in this solution, we were looking to integrate to do AD integration to streamline the process for user authentication and access to the system, which meant we didn't need to keep one additional user ID password for folks to remember. It was just going to be their AD account, which they already had, right, making it easier, streamlining the IAM effort. So in talking to the vendor, their current solution was so archaic that it really required us to put in a lot more hardware and, you know, almost force a, a, a square peg into a round hole. And, and so, and their response was, well, this is how we do it. You know, so as, as consumers within an organization, we're really currently, I think, at the mercy of vendors, and, and we really need to take a concerted effort to push them into the right direction. When it even comes to cloud, uh, there really aren't that great of options you know, to from an IAM perspective, when you look at SaaS applications, there really are big gaps within the way that we can manage user identities. And managing user identities are, are really a big deal because when you look at all the breaches that have happened in 2014 and 2015, a lot of those breaches resulted because of breaches to user accounts. Had that not been the case, it wasn't that attackers got in and, and just exfiltrated the data magically. It was that attackers were able to compromise credentials within the organization. And by and large, these were credentials that were not necessarily appropriately managed, were not necessarily having the most robust passwords. Because when users are faced with managing anywhere upward of 5, 10, 15 credentials, it's almost impossible for them not to fall back on bad practices, such as writing them down or keeping them in a spreadsheet. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's uh, inventory a couple of issues, um, Connie, that you had shared. So in a way, the central theme looks like that the cloud providers or the SaaS application providers are having their own limitations or maybe they have not purpose, not purposely per se, but they have not been able to give you the required um, control so that you can use identity access management. On the other hand, a security 
tool or solution provider which says that I can give you the best identity access management solution, they can just give you the tools, but they really don't understand the semantics and they can only make it so flexible. On the third side, you have semantics issue or the changing roles or, or something which a user does today could be changing tomorrow and that you have to keep track of or sometimes things fall through the cracks. So you got this three-pronged problem, God bless, how will how are we even actually trying to handle it? Let's talk about it more when we come back. Please stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So we did, uh, we actually discussed three areas. A cloud or SaaS providers are not providing you enough capability to handle IAM effectively because the the features and functions and application screens, et cetera, are not being uh, dissected to the degree where you have a granular control. Then on the other hand, technology solution providers who say that they have the most robust tools, they can only be so generic or customizable to nth degree, but they still may not be able to get us to this uh, a level where we can be feeling comfortable. The third is the semantics of what a person does and how they can use it, or maybe if you've got two different roles, how they can combine into uh, making or creating a security hole. So you got this three-pronged problem. So we can talk about the problems and get more depressed than we started the show, but that's not the case here, and we don't <laughs> want to do it. So let's let's talk solutions. Let's let's talk about how are you how are you even tackling this? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a blueprint? I think so, and and I think the most important point is that sometimes, you know, depending on the culture of the organization, you really need to take a step back and say, we're not going to be able to solve everything, but just because the problem may be overwhelming is not enough reason to say, well, let's just throw our hands up and, and give up, you know, and sometimes there are Throughout the years, you know, I've encountered folks that, that want to solve everything. And because you can't answer the question in, for every one of the systems or in every one of the situations, you know, it, it's difficult to get them on board. But, but I think the first key steps are this. You want to make sure that you have the right person leading this initiative. 
it really needs to be somebody with expertise in this area. This is an area that I, I've seen several organizations, you know, rejoice at the fact that they've purchased, that they made the decision, they purchased an IAM solution, and they feel that that's the magic wand. You know, that, that's really a key first step in identifying and selecting the right solution, but by no means are your problems solved. It's only the beginning of the really manual and heavy lifting that needs to happen. Um, one word of, of warning or caution that I would say about, so, you know, selecting a solution. Um, I think most of us in the IT community are very familiar with, with Gartner, and, and we uphold, you know, their their suggestions, and especially their, their Gartner Magic Quadrants, uphold them quite a bit to refer to them as to what solutions should we look at, who are the leaders, so on and so forth. But it's critical to realize that just because there's a, a solution in the, in the upper right-hand quadrant, it doesn't mean it's the right solution for your organization. And you must really dissect that solution and see what are your business goals, what are your drivers, what are your key requirements. And only then, and having done really a proof of concept, that you see that the solution can really work should you make that purchase decision. You know, I've seen organizations really go into a, a really deep hole because they've just selected something that their peers, you know, oftentimes when I worked um, in an organization that was both higher ed and, and healthcare, um, one of the things we did for every project was what are our 10, you know, partnering co-peers doing in, in this space and, you know, tried to mirror that because there was always a suggestion why re reinvent the wheel. And while that's true, the fit needs to be right. So selecting the right solution is key, having the right person with that expertise. And then culturally, from an organization perspective, understanding that identity and access management really is a process that is a life cycle, that is cyclical in nature, that like it or not, it's never going to end. <laughs> you know, we really need to come to grips that we constantly need to be provisioning, deprovisioning. We need to be enforcing. And I think one other key aspect is that we need to be reporting and auditing. We cannot assume that we put a process in place and that it's working appropriately. Um, that, that's probably one of the biggest pitfalls that, you know, you put a process in place. Um, even if it was tested aggressively up front, you need to constantly be on a, we, we like to do quarterly reviews, um, but whatever that time frame for your particular organization is, that, that's critical and, and very important. And, you know, and obviously part of those reviews are really an, a wonderful opportunity for process improvement. So as you go through the cycle over and over, hopefully you'll be fine-tuning your process and, and just making it better overall. Um, the other thing from, you know, the reality that it is a cyclical process is that the organization really needs to understand there's a long-term commitment. Um, IAM is not a, an area that, that is on the cheap. It, these solutions are all hugely expensive, not only from purchasing the solution from from a licensing perspective, but also the man hours and the staff that you need to really run it and to really keep it, you know, fi finely tuned. And so um, not, not even talking about deployment. Deployment is, is labor, again, very labor intensive. But I think the difference between a successful identity nexus management deployment and not is really in that um, identifying really documenting the business drivers, documenting your goals, and then taking it one 
baby step or one little step at a time. As, as we say, you know, you don't want to boil the ocean, really can't boil the ocean. And that couldn't apply any better to, to you know, IAM that, than, than it does because it really requires taking one, one bit at a time. And I would say this, for example, um, in order, whenever you're bringing in an application and you really shouldn't try to do too many at a time, when you're starting the project, you probably want to do one application at a time. Um, pick probably your easiest applications. This will give you the business a win. It'll give you quick turnaround, and then you'll see right away user acceptance, the users enabling or um, you know embracing the technology, I should say. Because at the end of the day, you know it's all about your users, and it's all about it is about security. But if the users aren't cooperating, they will find a way to circumvent. And I, I think to me, I don't really see it as users wanting to be malicious. Uh, most of the time, by and large, is users wanting to get their job done. And if technology gets in the way, they get really creative, you know, and they find ways to get around it. And and so, you know, really, I, IEM needs to be run as a very formal project with very well-defined, you know, milestones and or many projects within. Um, the other thing I, I would say is that it's really key within throughout the project as well as as afterwards to establish key metrics how do you know that something is successful unless you're measuring it and really seeing you know the your performance your key performance indicators um and so in this space it is an area that that really we can have a lot of metrics easily, but they must, again, be appropriate to the organization. So one real easy one that I can share is, you know, as a result of IAM and users not having to have 10, 15 different credentials, what are your service desk calls? Usually your service desk calls for, hey, I need my password reset, you know, I can't log on to the system, will dramatically go down. Also, you know, that yields that those FTEs can be reassigned to do something else, something perhaps more involved, more creative, more innovative, instead of answering calls to help people reset their passwords. You know, so establishing metrics is, is also very, very important throughout the project as well as once you're putting the, the different, bringing in the different applications on board. Um, All right. So when we talk about the specific areas where you mentioned the third-party providers are not up to speed and perhaps SaaS or, or the IAM providers, and you did mention the ways that you should look within. When we look within, if you notice that some of the areas where you start building an application or identify what needs to go where falls in the CIO's uh, group. And then when it comes to the accountability for whether something got breached, et cetera, as the CISO. Are you trying to manage or take responsibility while just having influence on the people who could be actually making this happen, you know, uh, making the applications robust and, and, um, and or creating vulnerabilities in it? Uh, what's the interplay? Uh, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest and most challenging factors within the work in the IT space. Um, throughout different organizations that I've worked, the question, I, I think more, more so the past, you know, eight, nine years or so, 
especially with the proliferation of, of CISOs in different organizations, some of which were prompted by, you know, all the massive breaches that we've had the last uh, year or so especially, um, has been where does the CISO need to report? And, you know, what is the relationship between the CISO and the CIO? And so depending my my current role within my current organization, I've – I don't think I've had it any better ever from that perspective. Um, I report to the CIO, and I'm, I'm very fortunate and lucky to say that our CIO is 100% security-minded and supportive, and not just saying the right things, but through his actions and through funding, and not only through the financial aspects and budgeting for what we need and what the organization must have to be, to have our, you know solid controls in place and be proactive, but also from the perspective of, the the um, FTEs within IT, you know. So so basically, you know, he tells me um, whether or not they report to me, they report to me when security needs something, and and they must action. And so I I realize um, probably my situation is unique. Um, there have been other places that I've worked at where, you know, the security team has wanted, you know, to report outside of IT because we, it was a constant struggle uh, to make headway on any initiatives when it, it's, it's a fine balancing act because when, let's say, there's an important project and, and one could argue that every project is important or at least important from the security perspective because no matter what the cost factor or no matter what really that project will service, the potential risk if that data set were to be breached would could be huge and could be could mean huge liabilities for that organization. So to me, you know, when something's coming in, whether it it's costing the organization five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars or five million dollars, we review and analyze that with the same scrutiny and make sure that the controls and identity and access management um, needs are dealt with in the same consistent manner. Um, so I think the key thing is that, um, to me, I view security not just as a role of the CISO or the role of the security team, but um, from the first moment that I joined Jackson Health, my message was always, we are in this together. You know, while the buck stops at my desk from the security perspective and, and I own that and embrace that reality, I need to have security deputies everywhere, especially in IT, especially with the infrastructure folks, with the network folks. They need to be security-minded, and I remind them of that all the time. I also ensure, and, and I think the other very important aspect, is that CISOs and security people for a long time have a really bad reputation. I think somewhat self-inflicted many times because, it, you know, the, it's – it's a known quantity that some people enjoy saying no, and they may be on a power trip by saying, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and so to me, it's not my role to get in the way to be a roadblock. It's my role to be, you know, a trusted advisor and to make sure I point things out, to make sure, you know, that, that I am firm on um, recommending alternatives so that at the end of the day, we're not standing on the way. We're allowing the technology to move forward, and we are, you know, enabling us to be innovative while we're being secure. 
And so I do that with the constituents all the time. While it is very time-consuming, but I walk around the different areas of the hospital. I talk to people very much informally, not because we've, you know, had any type of scheduled meetings. And I, and I always say to them, when something is not working, if you're not getting the appropriate response, you know what, let me know. Because even if it's not a security matter, even if you don't think it has anything to do with me, you know what, at the end of the day, it does. And it's what I say in my mind. At the end of the day, it does. Because when you, you know, want to get a file to someone and email didn't work because your quota was too high, um, you're going to go around and try to use something else. You're going to try to use Dropbox. You're going to try to use, you know, one of the cloud providers to do that. And we, we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and so, you know, the relationship between me and my boss, I think, is very solid. Um, we're constantly communicating, I think, on a daily basis. You know, we're talking about different security initiatives, and we're very much lock in step. You know, he knows exactly everything that's happening in my program, and I understand not only the initiatives and the goals of the rest of the IT division, as well as the, the goals of the business. You know, sometimes within IT, we, we may lose sight of the fact that we're here to serve the business. We don't just exist because technology is cool. And I'm very much a technologist. I, I love technology. I like to be, you know, if not on the bleeding edge, certainly on the leading edge of research and, and testing. And so, but at the end of the day, we need to, to take a step back and, and figure out, is the technology getting in the way or is the technology enabling our constituents? And if it's getting in the way, we need to do something about it. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the importance. And yes, it is important. IAM is important. But then there are so many other things that happen and are to be handled under the umbrella of risk management. So what is the way for us to keep it at least top of mind if possible, or should it remain top of mind in order for it to get the attention and investment? Because based on prior conversation with some CISOs, that anything which is supposed to be more strategic usually gets at the top of the list. And IAM is something that you have to do on a regular basis. It's like a regular security or a management function. So if you try to go in there and try to bring attention to it, it's like the same old, same old. So how do you make it one of the top priorities, because this could become the very reason why you introduce risk, knowingly or unknowingly, within the organization. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. 
To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So how do we get the IAM, Identity and Access Management, on the priority list? Uh, because there are many other things and, and perhaps seemingly more strategic versus same old, same old, which IAM could be uh, considered as. Absolutely. I, I think there's, in, in this realm as well, while it, it is many times difficult to have the right focus on a particular need or a particular solution, I think there's a ray of light here simply because boards, organization boards, are constantly being bombarded, you know, via different vendors and, and board topic type of literature and, and periodicals that they receive from the perspective of cyber attack. And while I think sometimes that's a word that is in some regards kind of overly used, um, it is very much a reality that ties directly to that. So we certainly can have the conversation about identity and access management from even cyber attack prevention. Um, I remember reading something in uh, Computer Weekly, you know, highlighting that identity and access management was really set to move forward uh, to the forefront in 2015 because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that most of the high-profile um, security breaches that occurred with, within the past year was resulted as a result of um, occurred because of a result of some theft with with credentials and privileged user accounts. Um, there's a website that I actually love, and I refer to this many times when I'm de- meeting with different people. I use it with folks around the hospital when I, when I have you know little informal meetings with them, or I've also shared it with the board. Um, you use whatever search engine you like, and you you browse for. Um, Information is beautiful, data breaches. So put in those words, information is beautiful, data breaches. And you'll get this grid that shows you over time, I believe is from 2004 to present. And you'll see an explosion of bubbles. Um, Some of them are much larger, which indicate the larger breaches. Click and you can drill down and you get more information. But I think that depiction is priceless. Like they say, the picture's worth a thousand words. And in this case, it really is. Um, because you can make a solid case where you see organizations that one, at least on the surface, would expect don't lack for, for funding in, in, in the security space, such as, you know, finance. Um, you, you see Chase on there. You see, you know, um, Sony. You see mammoth organizations that have all been breached, and, and sometimes multiple times, such in the case of Sony. And so I think that, you know, that that's one way that, is really impactful in not only reaching the board, but executive leadership within an organization. Um, the other thing is that other ways to, to bring attention to IAM is talking about finances and talking about cost avoidance, for example. That's a really good one where um, you can show how you're reducing you know, future expenditures by, by leveraging IAM. And you can tie this to not only reducing risk, but um, eliminating, you know, the possibility of what we were talking before about 
what I call permission creep, which is uh, an employee that may have worked in HR and then they worked in finance and then they worked to another business division and all along you did not have a good process in place and so they've accumulated all these permissions over time, giving them sometimes as much or more access than, than an admin who would have administrative permissions to the back-end server or but not necessarily access to the data, you know, and so you have a really large potential for for internal user threats, you know, users that that for whatever reason, you know, have an opportunity to to do wrong, and so you really want to keep that opportunity away by making sure the the permissions are appropriate. You can also show cost reduction because it, it really is quite costly to have a fully operational customer service center up and running 24 hours a day. And if it's not operational 24 hours a day, then you have potentially service interruptions. In the hospital, you know, we're 24-7. We're not 8 to 5. And so, you know, there's patients coming in throughout the day and night, and actually we have spikes, uh, believe it or not, usually um, at, at rush hour and then beyond the night as people are getting out of work is when, much of our emergency department activity spikes. And so that's typically the area in most organizations where our service desk is shutting down. So having a solution like this in place will really streamline, you know, interruptions and issues people are having with their user ID and passwords. Um, the other thing that could be highlighted is um, time productivity and process improve- improvements where you know, employees are really up and running without the guesswork. Because sometimes, even though generally the, you know, make John like Jack and, you know, John is, is working, John was a new employee and, you know, copying or cloning those permissions generally is effective. Sometimes it's not 100% effective because maybe that person's role is slightly different and may, you know, have other things that, that they need to to be able to access. And so we spend a lot of, or we waste a lot of time scrambling to really find, you know, um, a way around that and to really, you know, finding that needle in a haystack, if you will, because at the end of the day, no one really knows what the roles mean or what permissions, you know, they're getting. Um, user convenience and satisfaction, I think, is huge. Um, we, I, I think... In IT, most of us would agree that IT doesn't have the best of reputation as, as a division, right? And so, though I would say at the same time, people usually have their IT favorite. You know, all of the people around the organization have a person they'd like to call because they know they're going to, you know, solve their issues. And so, from just not having to manage all those different user IDs and passwords, and, you know, in security, we always tell folks, don't use the same password for everything. For example, if you're logging into your banking site, you certainly don't want that to be the same user ID and password that you're using for Twitter or Facebook. But who can manage all of that? So, you know, so making the user's lives easier and simpler goes a long way. Um, so also for security and compliance. I've worked in organizations that the plethora of different compliance requirements that we had to adhere to was huge. We had um, HIPAA for patient records, PCI, the the credit card standard, FDA Part 11, uh, and we've had FTC red flag rules. I mean, it goes on and on and on. 
And without a formal IAM process in place, you're really going to have a very hard time being successful with, with your compliance initiatives. You know, so I, I think at the end of the day, I, I'd really like to stay away from the sky is falling because that really loses its, its momentum quickly. But I think right now, like I said, we're at a good point where cyber and the talk of cyber is everywhere. You can't, you know, open a website, um, whether it's any of the traditional antivirus vendors or security organizations, you can't search the Internet or receive a newsletter where there's some mention of cyber attack or cyber warfare or cyber defense. And so, to me, we can make a very strong case within IAM in, you know, attaching it to that very directly. Now, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's talk about the way you can get the people who are application administrators or the users or even the CFO who actually have a better outcome, intended outcome, when they are able to get things done in an isolated manner or even be able to go for the pay-per-use. So when, when you look at a business as a business, they would like to save the buck wherever possible or make their life easier. Can you eat the cake and have it too by you getting what you want and so also does the the CFO and the other communities? What solutions, what creative ways can we achieve it? Let's explore it. When we come back, please stay tuned. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network hp is proud to sponsor this program find out how the hp as a service solution for sap hana can help you gain instant impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So we could have challenges related to inertia from the users or application administrators who have been doing it certain way, and they may even have different applications to manage as individuals. So why would they want to come to a unified approach and work for each other? And finally, the CFO who would like to see a pay-per-use approach and promote cloud services because that actually helps them with the bottom line. So on one hand, you are there, Connie, and, and anyone in your role trying to pitch IAM and, and what it's, you know, the cost savings. On the other hand, they see many other benefits coming from not going that route or, or posing hindrances. How do you handle that? 
Absolutely. And and that's really a balancing act. But I think um, the, the same as I was, you know, sharing earlier that the relationship between my boss, the CIO, and, and myself is very strong because we're in, I think, perfect harmony from, you know, security initiatives, so on and so forth. Um, we're very fortunate where our, he reports to the CFO of the organization. And from, from that reporting line, we couldn't have a better champion. And while that's not always the case, I think the, the key point is this. Um, when you're working with an IAM vendor, there are certain cost factors that one is able to calculate internally. And I think it's very important to look at your FTE count, um, put you know, the solid numbers in there as to what it would mean to bring this new solution in place from a cost reduction of whether um, not necessarily, you know, thinking that people are going to be laid off and that's not the spirit of this at all, but people being able to be repurposed and reassigned to more important things. And such from the man hours perspective, being able to articulate that in solid numbers. The other thing is that one of the things I didn't mention before, which I think is critical, is finding the right third-party partner. We are also very fortunate, I think, in, in large part, is the size of our organization. We're the third largest healthcare from a bed perspective in the country. And so many times partners are very hungry to fine-tune their application, to make their solution better. And so they just want to use us, let's say, as their test bed in order to say what features are required, what is lacking in the application. And, and they, you know, put their development teams to work and, and work on that. You know, right now, from an identity perspective, we, we are testing some pretty innovative and interesting solutions that deal with palm vein technologies. So not only could there be an application on the employee side, but there's certainly an application on the patient side. So as patients come in, you know, they will hover their hand over a particular device that will perform a scan of their palm, their hand palm. Um, this is huge because many times people have come into the ED and for many number of reasons, um, you know, impersonated a relative so that they can leverage the insurance of their relative. And so, you know, that's a big problem because if their relative was treated and they had certain diagnoses, this person could be, would be treated based on, on that knowledge and information. You know, so it's, it's technology that you want to make sure it's not always the case, but that you can find a partner that's willing to work with you and is not going to give you that response, well, take it or leave it. You know, that's what we're, what we're offering and that's what everybody does. Um, the other thing is that um, show value. Show value to your CFO. If he or she is not on board initially, I'm sure they're willing to try a small proof of concept with a particular area. And then showing the benefits of that, having been well-managed from a uh, project management perspective, uh, where you can show them evidence of how you're saving from all the different area, aspects of the business unit. Um, the, the other thing that I would say from a lessons learned perspective or things to avoid would be that, you know, some people have the mentality, well, if we build it, they will come. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. People are busy, and by and large, they're focused on completing their tasks and, you know, getting the job done and going home to their families or whatever it is they would like to do. So communication is key, and, and we've really not 
talked about that this morning, but communication and training, not only from the perspective of your technical folks that obviously need to be really well trained in the solution to know how to tweak it and know how, you know, to refine it over time in that cyclical IAM process, but most especially your users, that they really feel empowered. I think from from the times that I walk around the organization and, like I said, talk to people and mentor them, one of the main things is I see a spirit of wanting to do the right thing. And I see users sometimes just, you know, a little bit frustrated because, you know, they usually say, yeah, I want to do the right thing, but I just don't know. I don't have a clue as to what to do. You know, and really that's our job. It's We shouldn't expect people to understand technology necessarily. We need to make sure we provide that, you know, uh, nurturing, fostering environment that really could help them and enable them to learn. And so, um, you know, IAM is not a scope, uh, is not an initiative that's a DIY project. (laughs) You know, do-it-yourself is is certainly not going to cut it here. And and so you you want it. It's it's costly, but but the benefits of that are huge. And I think taking it in small pieces, doing a proof of concept, showing value to your CFO will really bring them on board. You know, when they see, for example, our our trauma unit, our trauma unit, we're level one trauma, um, the only one in this region of of the state. And those folks to say they don't have seconds to lose when they're logging into a machine is an understatement. So having a good level of satisfaction in key business units is huge. And I would say this, um, I also read a stat that said through the year 2016, and, and of course that's only going to extend with the complexity and of things such as Internet of Things, but through 2016 that any enterprises that lacked any type of formal identity and access management programs would be spending anywhere in the neighborhood of about 40% more and, you know, their experiences, you know, they would experience many times failures um, with that of uh, organizations that actually had any type of program. We're not even talking about mature programs, but organizations that were working at day-to-day. Um, and, and that's what it takes. It, it really takes a team. I, I would say this, at, at the organization I mentioned early on that I worked on years ago that we had, I said we had about 300 line of business applications. Um, in, in that organization, we had 26 people on the security team to manage creating and disabling user accounts. That's all they did. And, and they were busy all day. <laughs> that might be astounding, but these folks were busy all day. So I think it's, it's not a stretch, and I think if we sit down with all the relevant parties, this is not strictly IT in a bubble coming up with solutions. This is communication. This is working with the business unit. This is getting, you know, the application experts, the super users in a room and identifying the challenges, and then you're, we're able to better identify the, the rewards that, that we will, you know, reap by, by putting an appropriate program in place that, that far extends, you know, throughout different, different areas of the organization. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Connie, for your thoughts on how we can handle and rather tame this beast related to identity and access management. It's been my pleasure. 
it's been a lot of fun, and I am I'm grateful for the time to discuss this very important topic with you, and I hope your listeners have, have enjoyed our, our what to me was a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much again. And uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed Connie's comments and insights that she shared about identity and access management. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel.